Poole Couch Podcast is a weekly conversation with Dr. Lakeitha Poole, a licensed professional counselor in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, about all things mental health and personal growth. The Emerald Couch Podcast is the go-to pop site dialogue for self-help, good laughs, and real talk. This podcast is not meant to be a substitute for seeking support from a licensed mental health professional and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. For more information about counseling and therapeutic services, or for assistance in connecting with a therapist in your area, visit our website at www.smalltalkcounseling.com. Let's start the show. episode of the Emerald Couch. I'm your host, Dr. Lakeitha Poole, and I'm super excited that you are here listening in another week. Um, We're actually at week 10, which is pretty amazing. So we're now over the two-month mark um, of the Emerald Couch being in existence, and it has been just amazing to see how many people love this experience. I know for me, for sure, it's been fun. It's been therapeutic. I mean, I just can't wait to keep going. So I'm so excited that you're tuned in for another week. As always, thank you for your support and make sure that you continue to spread the word through iTunes, through SoundCloud, follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, check out our website. The list goes on and on and on. You guys know the deal. So Um, Just make sure you rate us as well on iTunes so that more and more people can find us and keep listening and we can grow the Emerald Couch community. So episode 10, let's get to it. This week's topic, I really wanted to talk about two things that I feel intertwine and other folks listening to this, especially maybe other clinicians may disagree with me a little bit, but I think it was really important to be able to offer some transparency and to talk about something that I don't think people often connect to their overall mental health and well-being. So let me go back just a little bit and offer a moment of transparency. So I'm gonna take you guys back in my little time machine to November of 2017, which was not that long ago, not even a full year ago, but definitely a period in my life and in my, particularly my work life, where I was extremely overworked, feeling tired, exhausted all the time. My health was up and down and kind of crazy. I mean, I was really just wrapped up in this idea that I had to do all things, be all things to all people and just kind of lived in that. And it just was not healthy for me. And so obviously there's a phrase that a lot of therapists or helping professionals always use saying that you can't pour from an empty cup. And so if I could probably think about what my experiences were like, not only with maybe family and friends, but even with my clients, um, I'm not sure that they were always getting the best of me. I think, you know, from their perspective, they were definitely getting my full effort, my full attention, working hard to help them with their issues. But getting sort of, in my opinion, my full effort also means being able to have the balance that I need to feel refreshed, to feel alert and attentive to maybe things that sometimes come up in therapy that slip through the cracks. Those are things that I'm really great at. And if I um, am not on my game because I'm tired or I'm, you know, stressed, 
it's really difficult to maybe catch something that might be really critical and that could also help in the therapeutic process, whether it's helping to shift gears a little bit and focus our attention on something else, or maybe even speed up the process for a client. Uh, If we sort of catch something they may say that really is meaningful and being able to not ignore or bypass that. So I was definitely living in this like superwoman syndrome, right? So feeling like I had to work twice as hard as my counterparts, trying to be, I guess, what millennials are. We're all about our multiple streams of income and trying to just be all things to all people, like I said. And so I felt like at a certain point, I had to take a pause and really ask myself, you know, who am I trying to prove something to? And what I realized over time, and probably not until more recently about that time, was my ego is who and what told me that I was just that important or that I couldn't say no. My ego told me that all sacrifices were worth every single coin that was coming into this practice, but that was also coming into my pockets through my full-time role as a sports counselor at a university. And so I was doing probably well beyond what I'm sure many of my colleagues who might be in the same position who I think or who I know work just as hard, but I was almost working as if I had like this chip on my shoulder and something to prove. And what eventually happened is that it just led to a state of being completely burned out. And a lot of folks don't like to talk about burnout because particularly, you know, it seems like an admission of weakness or that you don't have control of your life or that you're not really sure about the direction that you're going. And it really has nothing to do with that. It's often just the combination of what happens when we take on more than we as human beings really can and really just trying to push ourselves in a way that we, we just shouldn't. So one of the things that I definitely remember about that time was because I kept getting physically sick, going to the doctor and my doctor who I've had since I've lived here in Baton Rouge, so over eight years, like basically came in, we said our usual hellos and she just kind of looked at me and was like, what's going on with you? And so I told her kind of some of the small stuff I had going on at work, which in my mind then, and I guess in the grand scheme of things, wasn't really small. We were working on a grant opportunity. I was seeing clients. I was still trying to sort of transform our department after taking over. And then my practice was doing really great. And so I was also seeing, you know, six, seven, sometimes eight people a week, which for anybody who has a full-time job knows that's really hard to figure out when will you fit in that many people. And so really just pushing myself way beyond my limits. And so I think what became a a reality check for me was her being able to one, look at me and see that. And then as, you know, my primary care doctor to be able to say, well, have you thought about maybe considering medication? And immediately, even though I talk to clients about this all the time, I felt myself go cold, go stiff. And I was just kind of like, oh, no, ma'am, that is not what's happening. Um, And so part of that, not because of that, there's a a lack of benefits to utilizing medication to support your overall mental state or well-being emotionally. But I knew that my experiences were a result of me not taking good care of myself, not holding myself accountable. And so because of that, I knew that I had to do something different and that I could not allow anything that I was experiencing during that time to cause me to really go backwards in all of the work that I had done over the years of being a clinician, being a student, to kind of just fall to the wayside and become non-existent. So I really 
had to take a pause. And so fortunately, during that time, it was really close to the holidays. Um, And so I was able to get a little break for Thanksgiving, go back to work for maybe like a week or two. And then we were also as staff on our holiday break. And so it was just really nice to be able to get that moment of clarity, time with family that I really, really needed. And so I'm fortunate in that because of what I do, I probably have a little bit more insight and a little bit of a different approach to being able to think about how I want um, to take care of myself. Everyone doesn't have that. And so I can imagine the folks who function in roles like teachers, administrators, nurses, firefighters, police officers, but even folks who work in the creative arts who are constantly using their brains and their minds um, to try to be innovative and unique um, and make an impact, it can be stressful. And, And there's not really a clear set of guidelines or instructions around how to do that, how to avoid that burnout. So I kind of want to talk about that a little bit today, just to maybe offer some insight for anybody out there who's listening to this and either knows that you have been at that point or that maybe you're at that point right now. And hopefully this can serve as either a wake-up call or maybe the kick in the butt that you need to sort of do what you got to do to take good care of yourself. So I want to use an example in particular that I remember from my time in my doctoral process where I myself wasn't experiencing burnout, but I witnessed someone in my, I guess, social circle who did go through that. And so um, this young woman was at one point a colleague of mine and, and friend. And so at a certain point, I noticed in the process of us working on, you know, our doctoral experience that there began to be some visible signs of exhaustion mentally, emotionally, and interpersonally. She was not interacting the same with with some of us, our other peers and colleagues and friends. And I wasn't worried to the extent that I thought I should say something, but in this instance, looking back, I probably should have. And I think we did. I think it just didn't come across in maybe the forceful way that she needed to hear it. And so what we noticed was this person got really wrapped up in competition and in comparison. And what is dangerous about that is you're really setting yourself up to be disappointed because if you are going to compare yourself to somebody else and what they're doing, their timeline, their accomplishments, you're really gonna end up internally feeling like that's some form of a failure on your part when actually you're just being misguided because you're trying to walk in somebody else's lane. And so what often happens is people find themselves trying to live up to somebody else's expectations of themselves or Um, their goals and their achievements and trying to outdo them or beat them or match them to the point where you work yourself to a state of exhaustion. And so this young woman definitely did that to a point where she got so wrapped up in that she lost many friends, she lost opportunities, and really just became someone that I'm sure at some point she probably also did not recognize and we definitely didn't. And, you know, I always like to compare when people reach sort of burnout or they're just lacking self-care as a blind spot. So I'm a pretty decent driver, at least I like to think that I am. People who ride with me may feel differently, but I know that when, you know, either merging into traffic, changing lanes, um, or even turning out of certain like driveways, you can experience blind spots. And so this happens when basically you're at a certain position and then a car that could be oncoming is also just in that right spot where 
your side view and rear view mirrors don't catch them. And so, you know, without taking maybe a second look or figuring out maybe the best way to merge into traffic, if you go too quickly, you could cause an accident and, and hit someone or have someone hit you because you don't notice maybe how fast they're coming up or whatever. And so I think this is very similar to what happens for us when we're trying to figure out how to balance all of these things that are in our lives. So if you have, like me, you are somebody who, you have a full-time job, you have a part-time job, which is also a business. And that comes with not just showing up to do the work of the business, but the phone calls, the emails, the scheduling, the billing, paying the bills that happen in between. It's it's that same sort of experience where something is gonna eventually come at you and you're either gonna miss it because you're not gonna look twice or you just end up taking on so many things and so many of the experiences that you get overstimulated. And again, it causes a distraction. And so people always use the phrase like life comes at you fast. And that's true. I mean, it ends up becoming what you feel like is just your norm. Like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm young and I'm vibrant. And so I should be able to like keep up with all these things. And that's just not true. That's also just not normal. Um, it's not as normal as we want to paint it to be. And so being able to give yourself the freedom and the flexibility to know how to avoid burnout, I think is just really important. And so what often happens for those of us who maybe aren't in like the helping professions and uh, maybe aren't currently engaged in some form of therapy, particularly folks, I, I use the example of people being maybe young and vibrant, but I think there's also a contribution of like folks who are maybe in different phases of their life. So changing careers later in life or retiring or uh, starting a family, any of those things can also bring about um, symptoms of burnout. And so I kind of want to just share a little bit about what happens when burnout is, is, is approaching, I guess is probably the best way to describe it. And then what do you do to sort of combat it, fight against it? Some of which I think we've talked about on this show, or at least I hope we have in a way that has been clear um, around self-care and setting up boundaries. But I just want to offer a little bit of that today. So I think I've mentioned psychology today before as one of my favorite resources. But in particular, there was an article that I read on Psychology Today about burnout and what it means. And immediately they talked about dispelling the myth that burnout is just is just about being a workaholic. And that's not really it. It's not just the symptoms of working long hours and having multiple jobs and managing home life, but it's it's an emotional state that happens. And a lot of times, um, some of the symptoms that most people see look like, you know, cynicism. So folks who are usually, like I mentioned, maybe more vibrant and humorous, becoming somewhat of somewhat cynical, being able to realize that, you know, their mood is not as high, so sadness or depression. And then of course, things like lethargy. So just being um, tired all the time and exhausted um, even before the day begins. And so if you start to feel like you are not in control of how you're able to manage um, the goals that you're working towards, your day-to-day job, or things just seem to not resonate with you in the same way, then you definitely might be reaching that state of burnout. It also can occur um, when people sort of limit their social support experiences. So everybody loves, you know, a, a girl's night out or a guy's night out, a happy hour with coworkers. But oftentimes when we're goal-driven or on a mission, we sometimes forget to make those type of things a priority, even if it's just 
once a month. One of my favorite things to do, and we actually just did this yesterday, is to be able to connect with my other colleagues who are therapists and being able to make sure that I make time for people to just sort of like hear where I am with managing my business, helping my clients, but then also taking care of myself. And so if you don't sort of tailor your responsibilities to taking care of you, or at least putting things on pause, taking a vacation, you can really start to see a buildup of both mental and physical health problems um, that are much harder to get rid of once you have them. So being able to really think about that, I think is, is pretty critical. So one of the things that often comes up is being able to talk about, you know, how do you start to identify and avoid burnout at work? So this often happens with being able to set boundaries. So we've talked about that before. I'm a list person. So if you were to come into really any of my offices, so my office at work on campus, you would see a to-do list on my desk that I try to rewrite at least every week as I cross things off so that I can kind of feel that sense of accomplishment, um, but also just so that I don't have to keep all of what I need to do in my head. I also, at my practice, uh, where I'm at right now, right in front of me and where I sit is a dry erase board that not only is um, my list of things to do, but also just my calendar and the things that I have coming up. Any of you who follow the Go Small Talk Counseling page on Instagram, you'll see we post kind of what's going on and there's usually a lot. That calendar is pretty full, but it allows me again to not have to think about, okay, where am I supposed to be tomorrow? Or how many people do I have coming in? Or how long am I going to have to be at the practice because I need to get home and make dinner for myself? And just being able to not have to live in that sort of way, I think is just important. And, And being able to figure out how do you fulfill those parts of yourself so that you don't live in a state of constantly feeling stressed Um, about things that in the grand scheme of things, if you do them great and you accomplish it and you get your whole list done, wonderful. But if you don't for that one day, it will not change your entire world. I think people always use the example, particularly for folks who work on jobs, maybe you work there for a really long time and you work extra hard to be, you know, a standout employee. But what people often say is, you know, if something were to happen to you today, your seat in that office would not even get cold before they would be right there ready to fill it. That doesn't mean they wouldn't miss you. It doesn't mean you don't contribute in a great way. But in most cases, for most companies, no matter um, what industry, the show kind of has to keep going. And so folks will be sad, but they will also continue to move forward for the mission of of whatever um, that company does. And so just being able to put that into perspective hopefully helps people to understand that you are not, you're not bionic. You do not have the power to be able to deny yourself care and comfort for more than what your body can handle. And so being able to really think about how to do that is important. So those are just kind of what burnout is and just some ways to think about how to avoid it. Again, whether you're a list person, you're an organized person, you're a person that you just know every few weeks you need to take a Friday off, you need to plan a vacation every three months, whatever that looks like. Um, being able to do that is important. And I think that fits well with one of our episodes a while back when we talked about the different types of wellness. It's that same concept, being able to remember that when you have balance in your major life areas, it's so much easier to say yes to yourself and to recognize 
that day when something is a little bit off so that you're able to kind of shake back, figure out what you need to do to reset and keep it moving. So hopefully that was helpful. We're going to take a little break right there and then we'll be back with some of our signature segments. Hey friends, we are back. Um, And so we're gonna kick off our signature segments of the week. And we actually have things for all three. So I'm pretty excited about this and hopefully we'll do this in a timely way because I know many of you are spending your days or nights uh, listening to this and you either are ready to go to bed, ready to finish that workout you're doing, um, ready to get out of the car and go to work. So I'm gonna get through these, but definitely wanna share what I think is some really cool and insightful things from this week for the Emerald Couch. So first up is our pop psych moment of the week. So I was fortunate this week to be invited to a VIP screening for uh, local Baton Rouge business owners and community members, so churches, community agencies in the area to get a sneak peek at an upcoming movie entitled Beautifully Broken. So the movie doesn't actually come out until August 24th, but I'm super excited that I got to have a sneak peek of it. It was amazing. Now, I think people who are listening and actually know me personally might think I'm being a little biased because I actually know the second assistant director. So shout out to Mr. Marcus Brown and his team for doing an amazing job on such a great movie that I'm really excited for other people to see. I wasn't really sure of what to expect. I really am not even sure of how I got on the list um, of VIP people, but I'm very excited to be able to share with you guys and hopefully inspire you maybe to go see it if it's something that sounds of interest. So what I loved about this movie was it's direct approach of talking about what pain, particularly emotional pain, looks like, um, which is different for all of us. And I think that same thing applies for pride. So pain and pride can look a ton of different ways for each of us and definitely plays a part in how we choose to navigate our world. And so, of course, without giving away any of what the movie is about, I think what was critical and what I saw was, you know, it's just so important to be able to let pain and challenges that come break us a little bit so that healing can be brought about through those experiences, um, whether that's individually or together as a family, which is the case for the folks in this movie, actually three families. And so being able to get to see that was just, for me, pretty amazing um, to experience because it's something that I see every day. And I think sometimes when you work in the mental health field, like I do, you see a lot of pain, you see a lot of brokenness, and you often start to become desensitized to that and and imagine the world to be that way all the time. Um, And while there is a lot of pain and healing that needs to take place, we often don't get to see what happens on the other side with healing. And so I thought the message of the movie was just so powerful because there were so many themes around faith and family and love and forgiveness and community. And it was just amazing to see how they all fit together. And then of course, the therapist in me and why this is our pop psych moment of the week it really just showed how powerful things like therapy can be. And so they did not shy away from that theme as well. 
And so there's something about the admission that there is some part of you or me that needs fixing. And there's a beauty that comes in hashing out the how and the why that pain has occurred or that need to be fixed is is most important at this point in your life. And so what I loved about Beautifully Broken was that it not only um, tackled this idea of getting to the other side of pain, but also being able to just talk about themes that I think are very relevant to our our society, both uh, interpersonally, uh, racially, politically, um, that are happening, and also include a theme of faith and spirituality as well. So um, I don't want to give too much of it away. I hope that at least helps you kind of know about the theme. I'm sure there are trailers out already because it comes out in less than two months or right at two months. So, but please consider, you know, go and check out the trailer first, um, just to be able to give yourself an opportunity to be able to see what it does look like from a therapeutic perspective, a family system approach, and individually, culturally, um, what it what it really looks like to tackle brokenness and, and how to get on the other side of it. So, Super exciting. I hope that you guys go and support it and see it because I think it's a super powerful film. So Beautifully Broken, August 24th. That is our pop psych moment of the week. So next up, we have um, our small talk bookshelf. So I always try to make sure that I, I bring in items that you all can, one, have access to freely um, to be able to consider adding to your own bookshelf. Um, that helps with both self-care, mental health, emotional well-being, family, spirituality. Um, And so this week is no different. So one of the books I want to highlight, and actually more of my clinician friends who might be listening, maybe will find this as a useful tool for them as well. But one of my favorite books when I was earning my master's degree at LSU was The Family Crucible. And so we read this book in my family counseling course as a requirement, but I've read it a couple times since then, just because it offered such a fresh insight to just understanding family interactions. And so of course, after seeing beautifully broken. I thought this would fit really well with our themes of talking about burnout, talking about family, talking about forgiveness. It's just an excellent book. And so The Family Crucible was written by Drs. Augustus Napier and Carl Whitaker, and it explores all the moving parts of family therapy, kind of how and why it works. And then Carl Whitaker is actually just one of my favorite theorists in counseling theories, just to be able to have an understanding a little bit more of of why therapy works. And so what I love, again, about this book, it talks about not just the happy parts of family life. So everybody, you know, wants to have the perfect happy family, be happily married, have great kids. And that's just not really reality for for most of us. And so being able to figure out, you know, what are the forces that contribute to marital failure and how to revitalize interpersonal relationships between maybe a husband and wife, siblings, parents and their children. And so just a really awesome tool to be able to utilize, whether you're a clinician, but also if you are just someone who's really interested in the process of how family works, it really just presents really beautiful scenarios of how that family therapy experience can be and kind of explains what underlies each interaction that happens while using a cool story. And I think actually this family was one of Dr. Whitaker's actual clients, I believe. 
Um, and so just, a, a, again, a great way to just gain understanding. And so I hope that you guys will add that to your bookshelf because I definitely love it. And particularly for maybe some families out there who are listening or members of family who are listening and you're considering the benefits of family therapy, maybe that's a great way to start and introduce the idea to your family. So be sure to add the Family Crucible to your bookshelf. And as always, we will try to provide a link to purchase the book through Amazon so that you can check it out and utilize the resource. So our last segment is our Ask Dr. LP. So I don't think we've had questions maybe the last two weeks. So I'm pretty excited that we have two questions for this week to answer. So I'm going to, as always, try to get through them quickly, but offer as much insight as I can. So first question is, how do you choose your topics each week? So this is interesting. I, I don't know if I've ever expected anybody to ask me this, but honestly, and I think you guys probably have picked up on that is I try to use both my daily life, so my own personal experiences, but also conversations that I might have between colleagues and friends about topics that just seem relevant to people navigating their mental health on a daily basis as well. And so obviously I get to witness a lot in the role that I have, but it's also nice to be able to have, you know, phone conversations with my girlfriends and guy friends about just what's happening in their life and how they're managing it and handling it, particularly because I'm friends with a lot of really boss people. And so it's really great to hear their, their success stories, but, you know, even having to hear sometimes their challenges and the things they've had to overcome and how they were able to do it always offers a little bit of insight even to me because that might be a perspective that I've never even taken on that challenge that they maybe are experiencing or maybe a challenge that I've just never had. And so being able to gain insight on that, um, I usually sort of consider, well, if this one person that I know that seemingly, you know, has worked really hard to get where they are, has given themselves a very comfortable life and can still have these experiences, well, imagine the folks who are out there who maybe don't have that support system, don't have that friend that they can call, are scared to go to therapy. How do we talk about these topics in a way that takes that fear out, takes some of the ambiguity out, and allows people to be able to have conversations around topics that oftentimes we don't even realize are directly related to our overall mental health and well-being. And so again, I think I've said that every time I've mentioned sort of the purpose of what the Emerald Couch is, but it's really just to take the stigma away and to offer a place of safety and comfort to talk about topics that people either don't want to talk about because they're uncomfortable and they're scary or to offer a different perspective based on other forms of our identity that also play into our mental health like our racial identity our spiritual identity age all of these things so just being able to offer a different perspective and so of course i think lastly trying to answer the last part of that question i obviously consider trends and what i see with my clients so i'm fortunate to work with a wide very very wide range of of people so from you know the 18 to 22 23 sometimes 24 25 if they you know taking a little longer with school um, that age group in the university setting comes with its own set of ways to navigate life and learning how to do that for the very first time developmentally can be challenging. And so the types of things that often come up are typical of college students and folks that age, things that any of us who are listening and who've been 
through that that age period uh, we know what it felt like and so those challenges for them are no different but how they're able to tackle them does look a little different they are an age that's more open to self-help or seeking therapy um, than maybe we were or even our parents especially not our grandparents Um, and so just being able to have that insight on trends that I see with them as things change um, and how they cope and how they um, conceptualize mental health is really cool and just keeps me on my toes to be able to kind of know what's going on with that group and then of course at my practice I see a little bit of everybody so I think I've had clients as young as 12 and clients as old as 60 and so being able to realize that like that's a wide range of topics and issues and concerns that can come up that offer plenty of opportunities to be able to think differently about um, how do I help that particular client, but also how do I help those of you who listen to this podcast to be able to think differently about what you see in your daily life and in your world in regards to your overall well-being and mental health. So that probably was the longest short answer that I could give about just how do I choose topics, but I think a great question um, just For those of you who wonder, do I just randomly sit down, press record and start talking or do I give it a little bit of thought, which I do, um, to be able to offer good insight to you all who tune in every week. So thanks very, very much for that question. Second question is, I'm interested in beginning therapy, but I'm unsure of what the first session will be like and what I should be looking for in a good therapist. Wow, that's an awesome question, but somewhat loaded. Um, So let me maybe walk you through the intake process. So obviously people have different ways of even finding their therapist. You might get a recommendation from a peer or a friend, but you also may use Google and, you know, just start Googling like mental health therapists in Boston or in LA or in Houston. And often you can find you know some pretty decent resources in that way but it's not as simple as just kind of looking someone up showing up that day and you know it's going to be like match made in heaven it doesn't always work like that most of the time if you've really done your research it does but not every time and so one of the things that I always like to point out for sure is thinking about what is your experience like leading up to getting registered as a client, right? So does the clinician call you back to get started in a timely manner? Which again, and I'm guilty of this too, that may not always be within the first 24 or 48 hours. And part of that is because a lot of clinicians start out part-time. And so they are not in their office checking that voicemail on a daily basis. Some are not really good about even doing email every day. I actually do do that when we get either requests through the website for a new appointment or we get an email directly about it. I try every day. That's usually one of the last things I do before going to bed because I've already been at work all day is to make sure at least that I get through emails and then by the next morning, usually I'll make early callbacks um, just to 
get people engaged to see if they've you know found someone a lot of times people will make a list and just call down that list and whoever they actually get on the phone in person is who they start with at least to give it a try and so you have to do whatever works for you but definitely make sure you're looking for the signs of what that experience is like you know what is it like talking on the phone with them or their um, office staff you know are they friendly are they kind are they sensitive to what is happening with you and and your questions that you have. Um, So just being able to pay a lot of attention to that, I think is important. Uh, The other piece that people often don't do is they're afraid to ask questions during that first session. So similar to if you were to be be on the lookout or be looking for a, a new primary care physician, you're gonna ask questions about them, you know, what are their hours, what is their like model of care, how do they, you know, interact with their their patients and their clients. Those are things to be mindful of what your experience is like, but also just to ask about. And it's okay to ask them kind of what we're trying to do in, in answering this question, like what is therapy going to be like, you know, and, and to see how comfortable you feel with their response. One of the things I always tell clients during their initial consultation with me is that the therapy process is filled with transitions of its own within the experience that you're going through to therapy for. And so there are some days where you're going to leave therapy not feeling better. You're going to be feeling a little bit exposed. You're going to feel maybe frustrated because you just really, you're working really hard to try to work through an issue or concern and you're not seeing the progress that you want. But part of that is because you're you're literally digging up things that for, for some people years and decades may have been buried versus being able to just kind of stay on the surface, not really get deep. And then, you know, you end therapy rather quickly, but you're back within a year. And so being able to really make sure you ask questions and ask for honesty from that clinician, I think is very, very important. And then I think the last piece is to recognize like, it's okay if it's not a good fit. So a lot of times I think there's just some shame or uh, maybe for people who struggle with kind of you know social anxiety and interactions a little bit about letting that person know like oh I just don't feel like this is a good fit and sometimes that happens across gender lines across racial lines maybe their style or their approach to their theoretical orientation is just not the way in which you thought you would experience therapy the way that they described during that initial consultation doesn't really fit well with what you thought it would be And so it's okay to say, yeah, this is not going to work or to go for that initial consult and then maybe have another one scheduled as a backup to go to that one too, so that you at least can kind of see who's a better fit. I know one of the struggles often for folks is that many people have wait lists or their first upcoming appointment might be a month out. And so getting an appointment is a big deal. And so being able to sort of feel like, well, I'm just going to stick with this person because I'm already in and they're available. While I totally get that, I also can see where that could cause issues down the line if they are truly not a good fit for you and um, the approach that you need in order to be well. So just, you know, give that some thought for sure. That's kind of really what happens during that first session is they're going to talk about their style. They're going to talk about 
what it looks like for you guys to set up, you know, a regular time to meet, whether that's weekly, bi-weekly, once a month, based on maybe what's going on with you, being able to give you some insight into what it's going to feel like on those really good days after therapy and what it's going to feel like on those really hard days to really process maybe what you've experienced. And so the first session, most people like dread because it's really hard to go in for that very first time and talk to a stranger and kind of expose yourself to this person that doesn't know anything about you. But once you get through that first session, it's so much easier. That first session, which often for people can take anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and a half, usually goes by so fast. People just don't even realize once they start talking, at least being able to be honest with one another. So much can come out of that and the conversation kind of just flows. So hopefully for anybody who is out there considering therapy, trying to figure out if it's for you, don't go into it with the thought that you have to have everything figured out. And so when you show up that you have to be, you know, so well put together and and be able to kind of state your, your expectations and your experiences and even the issue that's there, being able to talk about it in this nice, neat way. It's okay. You know, part of why therapy works as well is like not having so much of a structure where each time you show up you know that this is the exact thing that you know I'm going to talk about and that becomes very uniform and very difficult to be able to work with sometimes because it makes you kind of rigid and so my hope is that anybody who's listening and you're thinking about getting started just consider some of those things but going to that first session is the hardest and if you can do that then afterwards I promise you it will be such a different experience and And as you get to know your therapist more and their personality, you guys definitely develop a bond and a relationship that is unlike any other that you have in your life because this person is somebody that when you walk out of the office, you leave them there until you see them again next week or next month. And so being able to realize that they only know what you tell them. And so if you can focus on being able to use that that one hour to grow, to be a little bit exposed, to share your fears, Um, you come out of it a a much different person each time, even if it's little by little. So I definitely appreciate that question too, because again, a lot of people wonder what does that first session kind of feel like? And really, how do you know if somebody's a good fit? So just make sure you ask questions and do your research. So that brings us to the end of another episode. I thank you guys for continuing to ride through this process with us and for tuning in every week. I do want to take a moment to send a special, special shout out to all of the fathers out there. I know by the time you all hear this episode, it will be the day after Father's Day. So I want to say a very, very, very happy Father's Day to all of the fathers out there, particularly all of the men in my life who are uncles and friends and dad and father figures um, to me. I appreciate you all so much. Um, And I hope that you had a wonderful day and were celebrated for all that you do to make this world um, and your family better and whole. And so we appreciate you and we hope that you enjoyed your day. So still more to come more great interviews, more exciting mental health topics. We're still in June, so it's still Men's Health Month. So I hope that we had maybe some more guys even tuning in this month, learning about mental health, financial wellness, grief and loss, talking about it in a different way because that is the goal. As always, make sure that you like, follow, and subscribe. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes as well. And continue to submit your questions for Ask Dr. LP. Those were really great this week, and so I hope that we keep going. And that is all for this week. I will chat with you soon. Thanks for joining me on the Emerald Couch.